Welcome to Bookplate, your monthly dose of masticated manuscripts. <laughs> Mummies, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Jenny from FYA. I'm Britt from SFFYA. And I'm Annie, also from the SFFYA division. Each month, Bookplate discusses the monthly book club Forever Young Adult book pick, and we divide it into easily digestible morsels so that we can better discuss how it made us feel because it's all about the feels with young adult. <laughs> this month we're going to discuss Out of Darkness which is the third YA offering from Ashley Hope Perez. It discusses the greatest school disaster of the nation where 295 students and teachers were killed. Uh, Perez also chose and this is very important, San Francisco uh, Forever Young Adults interpretation of the novel for extra points <laughs> doing Summer Showdown 2016, which of course all of you must know we were reigning champs yet again. <laughs> what can we say? We read the book. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're going to walk through this. Our first appetizer, which are cinnamon sugar tortillas. Also, hard subjects and difficult topics. So I just want to give a trigger warning for all our listeners out there. This book really goes hard. It discusses rape, race relations, lynching, murder, sexual abuse, religion, which is a trigger warning for me, death, and very gruesome death, including a rape threat and some stories that are very emotionally charged. So I just want to let everyone know that we're going to be discussing these hard topics before we get into it. The rape threat in particular was really hard for me. It's kind of like this overhanging cloud throughout the entire book yeah and it gave me a lot of feels yeah I felt like so when I read it I felt like I I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop and and in a lot of senses like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop when it came to the cat Mm -hmm. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop when it came to the school explosion but mostly her literally shoe yeah yeah Yeah. as we know in the first few pages um but every time her stepfather was mentioned he was you know clearly a creeper and she did it really well and he almost he was almost sympathetic in a way but not so much that that it didn't worry me that I didn't wonder what was he going to do to poor Naomi she tried to make him sympathetic I did not find him sympathetic I have to say I I did say almost (laughs) I don't know. Just from the first time that he compared her with her mother, that's when I like tensed up. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to go in a good direction. I sort of felt like he wanted to be a good father, but he couldn't. He he could not be and didn't didn't really want to make that leap. Instead, Naomi was this really nice uh, stand-in for her mother Mm -hmm. that was going to take care of the children and all of the household chores, which is exactly what she did. Yet he still made her call him daddy. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a power struggle. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what makes it hard for me is women feeling unempowered. And this is this book is set in the 1930s. So women have kind of just gotten the right to vote Mm -hmm. and haven't really been out of the home you know we haven't had world war ii yet where a lot of women went to work 
it's very limited in scope what women were allowed to do and you really were just a cookie cutter version of your mother when yep. you, yeah and it, there was no escaping it as you said I just want to go back over like the very first page of this book is a description of the explosion of the school and parents picking up pieces of their children yeah so it's it throws you in there right away and I have to say though that the gruesome nature of that scene was not as hard for me to swallow as the rape threat from the stepfather I found the sexual violence more intense that's but that's my personal issue did you feel like it was because the explosion was already done that we knew it was going to happen yeah Possibly, yeah, you know, because it it wasn't hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it's gonna happen, but the author still does that twist thing where (laughs) you know it wasn't the person that we thought it was. So you think that okay, I know this explosion happens. It's right in the beginning. I can let that knowledge sit while I read the rest of the book. But then, when you get to the actual scene, when it catches up to that scene, it's still the shock factor because the author is like let me toy with your emotions <laughs> yeah <laughs> over and over <laughs> right in so many different ways <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other one that really like I th- you know she does it so well and I really think it's her craft but there is one particular story that really just felt like a gut punch to me and it's like the one moment where Naomi has this day out and she gets to go shopping and pretend she's a real girl basically you know she's not a white woman so her place is basically designated by caste in this society in this white texas town and she gets it's during the holidays and she gets to go shopping and with the neighbor the white neighbor and she's actually enjoying herself for the first time in forever maybe ever we don't really know but maybe ever and um then the little sister of the neighbor comes up and like grabs her hand and she's holding her hand and she's they're swinging it and Naomi is so happy and she feels so glad that this little white girl felt comfortable enough to like hold her hand and then the girl turns over her palm and says oh do do you know any dirty ones and Naomi's like dirty what and the little girl says dirty Mexicans you know and uh, when I read that line my gut literally felt like like it doesn't matter how how safe you feel or how much you're enjoying yourself or how free like um, in a moment you are even someone who doesn't intentionally mean to like oppress you throws it in your face you know Mm -hmm. I don't like it's not like the little girl meant to hurt her feelings right but it's just that sort of like casual racism yeah that's what she grew up with well that and we've like come to accept that in our current culture you know like the microaggressions yeah I think it's really interesting that um, the kids, because I guess they pass for white, they don't see themselves as Mexican. And just my experience being a black person, you know, the one drop rule, like if you Mm -hmm. are the slightest bit, you know, black, even if you're mixed, you're black, right? Like nobody says Obama's a white president. Yeah. But it's the other way around in this book, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice that uh, Perez did with the kids being able to pass for white, but she was not. 
yeah. and it really really set up the tension i think in a in an interesting way and it was it was effective it you know broke my heart yeah and that combined with the difference in the way that the dad stepdad treats them just serves to kind of divide them even more yeah absolutely yeah well they're they're more like her kids than right. her stepfather's kids and <laughs> or her brother and sister yeah yeah that t- that brings us to our main course which is very similar topics, but um, also chicken and dumplings and fried squash. They eat a lot of really good food in this book. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> All thanks to Naomi, of course. Yes. Right. Who learns how to make the southern food and also makes her traditional mm-hmm. Mexican meals. Perez at the end has this note about um, writing historical fiction for marginalized communities. She discusses how difficult it is to find primary source material because these folks were either not educated or didn't write or they weren't preserved because they weren't dominant culture and so it's not everything is couched in the white view is like this is what it looked like instead of a primary source for someone's like writing how it was for them so she discusses like how difficult it is to balance truth with fiction but that her goal in writing such a hard story is specifically to cast light on the fact that history is so whitewashed and we need mm-hmm. these truths no matter how partial. Um, Can I read a quote from another book? Yeah. Um, there's a book called Homegoing, which is really wonderful. And there's a quote um, that kind of talks about this. It says, this is the problem of history. We cannot know that which we were not there to see and hear and experience for ourselves. We must rely upon the words of others. Whose story do we believe then? We believe the one who has the power. He is the one who gets to write the story. So when you study history, you must always ask yourself, whose story am I missing? Whose voice was suppressed so that this voice could come forth? Once you have figured that out, you must find that story too. That's lovely. It's such a it's such a true thing. I, I was a history major, and I think the biggest revelation that I had as an undergrad was, yeah, what people don't say is every bit as powerful or more powerful than than what they do say so you you really have to look at those primary sources and figure out okay well who else was there and what what am I not hearing and I I think Perez does an incredible job of displaying you know what what the what the other half felt and in in this book but yeah boy is it ever hard to read (laughs) Yeah, I was so mad. <coughs> I was really mad when the book ended. And, of course, I just spent, <laughs> like, 20 minutes sobbing. But once <laughs> I read that note, it just it made me okay with it. Yeah. You know, I was like, I needed to be put through this difficult thing in order to come to come a little closer to that truth. And it was necessary. I was not happy about it, but it was necessary. <laughs> like, you have to do the hard work. Yeah. I didn't have the pleasure of shutting a, a physical book, <laughs> but I would have liked to, <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> but I, I did, I did emphatically press the button on my Kindle app. And go, oh my God, what did you do to me, Ashley Hope Perez? <laughs> and cried. And then I was like, damn, that's a good book. And then I read her author's note. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll, yeah, yeah, I get it. But, ouch. <laughs> I just, I think I had a. Not opposite reaction, but it just got to be too much, and I just had to like shut down and turn off my feelings because I'm like I just can't. If I care too much about these characters, like I'm going to lose it. So I just have to 
not care because that's the only way I'm going to survive this ending. It just felt like, yeah. how many times can I make you think everything's okay and then rip your heart out mm. again? And I'm just, I need to protect myself from the pain at this point. Like You were also reading it like right before the election too, <laughs> which yeah. was already a really stressful time for those of us. Yeah, talking about getting heart. your heart ripped out. I'm going to switch down just to the writing practice. But what we're talking about is like it was worthwhile because she did such a good job. Yeah. You know, and and really she manages to do the really hard things in these very minute but meticulously crafted ways where instead of describing what someone's personal feelings are, our character's personal feelings are, she just gives us a list. She gives us like the list of difficult topics or the list of a descriptive list instead of the person's feelings and then as the reader you're allowed to interpret that and for me that was almost stronger it's a very great way of showing instead of telling in a lot of YA I find it in in novels in general I find that they just like they felt this and they felt this and they felt this and I'm like I don't believe you Mm -hmm. but when you you know see the list of the contents of the guitar case yeah you know, you know how heavy that was. And that, that I'm just going to read a couple of them because they were so nice. There's the contents of the guitar case, which is one red dress, two red high heels, faded holy cards, St. Cecilia of the Saint of Music, St. Francis of Assisi, the patron saint of animals, and St. Benedict the Moor, which is the saint of dark peoples, four parts of a broken doll, a St. Christopher medal, and the cracked rubber nipple from a baby bottle. Like, without telling you what that means, you know that means so much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then the one that really killed me is the one at the end, which is this list of what's smuggled with the survivor. Smuggled with him were the following. Edgar, curled tightly against his belly, several fleas on Edgar's fur, a knowledge that was as impenetrable as a stone, a lifetime supply of guilt and what-ifs, a memory. Like, she doesn't even have to tell you what those things are. Like, you know what the memory is. You know what the knowledge is. It's just lovely the way she does that. Well, him surviving is what really breaks your heart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because his life is ruined. You know it. Everybody knows it. It, that, yeah, she, she like you said, she does it so beautifully, and it is so hard to find books that, like you said, show instead of tell, and that is the perfect way of doing it. But, you know, then you cry your heart out. <laughs> yeah. I teach third grade, and we just finished reading Because of Winn-Dixie, and <laughs> uh, it's such a wonderful book. And that author does the same thing where she provides a list, so... There's this girl, and she never knew her mom. Her mom kind of left when she was young, and it's just her and her dad, and so she's bugging her dad to tell her about her mom. And so he gives her a list of these ten things, and then that list format kind of shows up later in the book. And we did an activity where my students had to list ten things about yourself to get somebody to, you know, know you, and it's just a, it's an interesting writing strategy. I think it's a great tool, and it's easy to teach. Yeah. 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 And she does it so well. Yeah. The other thing I really like about one of her ways of showing like a concept without really going into too many details is the gang, which is a character unto itself mm-hmm. in the book, but it's also a manifestation of the power of gossip. 
and it's really just like the faceless in-group but they have severe feelings of their own and really affect how Naomi the main character lives in this world one thing that I noticed about that was when it's their perspective it's first person right Mm -hmm. but then when it's Naomi's it's third person so it's like literally us versus them and I thought that was a really powerful choice point yeah what did you guys think about Naomi being like the prettiest girl in the school Uh, did you feel like that was an effective device did was that did it feel like too much that of course she she's going to be the prettiest girl and that's why everybody envies her or I don't know to me it felt like her her confidence from being the the primary caretaker in her home might have attracted all of, all of the boys to her but did she have to be the prettiest I don't know I think it adds depth to um, the other characters if that makes sense because they want to see her as a stereotype as like this untouchable mm-hmm. you know dirty Mexican whatever but like the fact that she's pretty means they have to wrestle with like different aspects of her that's a good point I wasn't looking at it that way because you know we all we always see like every YA novel oh well this girl is so yeah, beautiful and she doesn't know it but I, I like the way you put it that makes sense to me It seemed a little exoticized to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, she's the different one, so she's the prettiest one. But I agree with you. It makes them struggle with their own internal concepts of what race is. Well, and the boys didn't want to get to know her. They just wanted to get in her pants. Yeah. Again, like the sexualized other, Mm -hmm. you know. It was hard for me to swallow, (laughs) but it also made the sexual violence more intense and I think that was intentional yeah yeah that was (laughs) that was hard there was one particular part where they're talking about how she's intentionally aggravating the boys by wearing this dress that's thin material so you can see her (laughs) body when it's obvious about her being poor yeah you know and I don't know that made me think about how we look at people like there's a lot of homeless people on the street you know Mm -hmm. and like what is your concept when you look at what they're wearing you're like oh my god why isn't that woman wearing pants which happens a lot in san francisco Mm -hmm. and usually it's because they don't have pants (laughs) yeah it's not because they're doing that on purpose right (laughs) on the flip side though the consensual sexual relationships in this book are really really well done Uh, at least I thought so what about you guys yeah (laughs) yeah wash is hot (laughs) and the fact that they have a secret tree was just yes but then like I don't know the author did so much you know I'm gonna make terrible things happen that I was constantly worried somebody's gonna find their tree and walk in on them and it's going to be disaster (laughs) I also I also worried about that, but not so much that I didn't want them to just go to that tree, <laughs> go to your tree. <laughs> go to your tree all the time, please. And write about it, Ashley Hoperas. <laughs> I liked how Naomi wasn't ashamed when they were together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's her instigating. And I thought that was powerful 
because she's victimized so much. So in mm-hmm. this one place, she's allowed to take power. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge women owning their own sexuality when we're told the way it should be so much. It felt really refreshing for 1930s Texas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wash, you know, did his thing with winning her over. And it was just, it was so charming and so... It felt so genuine to me. And that, you know, that's hard to write. But by the time that they finally got together, <laughs> you, know, you you want them to go to their tree and please do, do all the things. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> do you want to talk about one of these other uh, questions, Jenny? The problematic depiction of Texas? Well, do do we find it problematic? I know some people do. I know that uh, some people on Amazon in particular (laughs) uh, have a real problem with the way Perez depicted 1930s Texas, and they would like to let everybody know that not all Texas is like that, and not everybody is racist like that, which, you know, duh. (laughs) But why? it's 1930. Yeah. Hashtag not all Texas. <laughs> what? Why are they so defensive? It's a point in history. But well, people I, get defensive because they feel that way. Well, this is, yeah, this is a th- this is a really raw book, and I understand why it brings up so many emotions. But yeah, <laughs> I think I think you kind of have to own that that happened. I think she would be doing it a disservice to pretend that you know everything was fine and not really explore the difficult topics yeah. and the time period and the area. Well, the specific review I'm thinking of was a librarian that said, oh, we can't we can't show this to the kids in school. But yes, you can. <laughs> I mean, that whole, like, let's protect people from the hard stuff is foolish. Yeah. Yeah, no, th- this book is a crash course in all of the hard stuff that yeah. there ever was. But, and... It, like like Britt said, it's it's a little much. It's a lot much, but I mean, if we can read about the Holocaust and yeah. at least my senior year of high school have an entire class on genocide, I think mm-hmm. that we can read this book. Yeah, I actually really think it would be great in a classroom because you have history, you have multicultural experience, mm-hmm. you have just a lot of you have like the environmental factor you also have like the crafts of what the the people are doing beautiful minute details that she puts in there about how to sew the patterns you know what what a sewing machine was like how you cook and how how you live in poverty those i thought that was really just it was fascinating learning about that yeah that takes me to my favorite part of the book which is the handiwork hard work or crafting Um, one of my favorite things I love the homemade gifts for Christmas I love the homemade home ex sewing class and that her neighbor and her become closer friends over this shared knowledge yeah and just like the food learning the southern dishes versus the Mexican cooking and washes carpentry how he wants to work with his hands I think those are things we don't value these days and I think it's really important a lot of us don't learn except through tactile you know that's our processing like I personally am a tactile processor 
and I need that touch to connect with something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not going to say I necessarily disagree, but so I am part of SF Etsy, which is uh, part of Etsy.com, and we're a street team, and I'm on the leadership team. And we put on shows with 200 handmade vendors, you know, at least twice per year. And people, you know, they, you would not believe the handmade stuff that they can produce. It's just incredible. So, yeah, the the handmade crafts in this book, I, I really felt connected to just because that's something that's in my life personally. What about you, Britt? I agree that it's something that is not necessarily valued as much anymore you know because there's amazon.com you can buy anything (laughs) on the internet yay prime shipping (laughs) but i mean like my mom is super crafty she sews crochets knits she used to hand make all me and my brother's halloween costumes and things like that and she tried to teach me how to sew when i was in elementary school and i just had no interest or patience in learning it and now i'm super jealous of friends who can do that and have that skill so yeah it's fun to read about since I can't do it myself (laughs) (laughs) it reminded me a little bit of um like Little House on the Prairie which I loved reading as a Mm -hmm. kid oh I hate those books (laughs) (laughs) interesting so much (laughs) (laughs) well the last little bit I want to talk about throwback podcast (laughs) (laughs) are um, the drinks, which is definitely whiskey in this book. Uh, her stepfather drinks whiskey. And yeah, actually... And I think we all should after reading this <laughs> book. <laughs> well, he goes through sobriety and like comes right. to Jesus, which is the reason he brings the children to him is that the pastor tells him in order to be saved, he has to bring these children that he's left in Mexico and then he goes back to the bottle and that kind of leads to the terrible ending as we do with the drink portion i bring up like one little fun thing about the book and in this one it's edgar the cat he's one of the only survivors and cats in ya is a total trope but (laughs) edgar might be one of my favorites Edgar is adorable and I was waiting for him to die the entire book and I could not stand it. Thank you thank you so much Patrick Ness for ruining oh. my life. <laughs> I sorry, I just I'm always thinking about school even when I'm not there. <laughs> we um we read Stone Fox. It was the first book in our language arts curriculum and I hate that book. <laughs> Spoiler alert, the dog dies in like the last chapter oh all of a sudden there's like no time to even grieve and it was just it was it's horrible (laughs) and then of course right after that our next book is because of Winn-Dixie where the dog doesn't die but my kids were all like oh no another book about a dog (laughs) does this one die too I was just like (laughs) that's funny I have to say that Edgar's proper pronoun is she yeah yeah although her name is Edgar (laughs) again a thing I love that the child is like her name is Edgar <laughs> duh <laughs> why not that's a very good kid logic but oh, yeah. I was waiting for Edgar to die and I think basically anytime I see especially in historical or fantasy books any anytime I see any pet I expect them to die because that's what authors do to rip our hearts out like to, to the point where 
I don't know. I, I'd be more upset about the the pets than the people. <laughs> Oops. You don't trust them. <laughs> if you want to read a good... Well, I think it's middle grade, but um, the Enchanted Forest series has a lot of cats and none of them die, so... That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Th- thank you. <laughs> I need uh, to know that. <laughs> that's my last bit for this book. Did anyone want to say a little parting or like s- last little words about how it made them feel? Well, you guys know I love this book. That's why I picked it for FYA. And I, I knew that it was going to be really intense and I knew that not everybody would like it. And... Yeah. <laughs> I also didn't know that when I picked it, you know, way back last year, that we were going to be dealing with the election at the mm-hmm. same time. And, oh, God, it felt like really terrible, but also incredibly appropriate timing. So, sorry, not sorry, <laughs> guys. Yeah. I l- loved the book until the ending. Yeah. I just, I mean, I... I knew it wasn't going to be a happy book going into it. It's about a school explosion. And it's Romeo and Juliet, basically. So Yeah, I just felt like at some point the author was just like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to make you think everything's fine and then destroy you and do it again and again and again. And again. Well, she did employ that writing craft where all of the chapters are different perspective and as we go hurtling towards the inevitable the little vignettes get smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. so you're like this bit this bit this bit this bit oh my god what's gonna happen no and then it happens and it's really i just want to be clear with the listeners it's really the worst outcome possible (laughs) yeah there is no redemption besides edgar the cat so yeah well they better have read it by now (laughs) Yeah, we Otherwise, hope, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, everybody everyone dies. dies. Yeah, everybody dies. <laughs> Except but, the cat. I mean, and one person. It's still who has beautiful, PTSD. though. <laughs> it really is. Well, she's she's got a beautiful writing style, and you know, writing historical fiction is hard. And picking which details you're going to put in your book and which details you're going to ignore, and you know what 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 is important for your reader to know and what isn't is really hard to figure out and she she does it so beautifully and i'm you know i'm as you guys know i'm a big historical fiction aficionado and damn damn that book was good <laughs> but I damn think it's she one broke of the my best heart. i've read yeah i have to say full credit <laughs>